Hey guys, welcome to the Neglected Podcast. This podcast is not to change your mind, but to invite you into somebody else's narrative. This is a podcast to give a voice to the neglected. It is also an opportunity for all of us to engage. All right, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Neglected Podcast. My name is Nick Schultz. You can hit me up at Schultz time. We are at For the Neglected, and we got producer Quinn over there. Quinn, thanks for being here, man. Like always, you're the man. And we have a special guest today. Her name is Brittany Harris. What's going on, Brittany? Nothing much. You're I'm just here. chilling. You're just all good. Chill- yes, yes. So, so we have a cool friendship connection. Mm-hmm. Uh, you worked for DFACS, which is the Department of Family and Children's Services, yes. uh, because my wife and I we are a foster family. So that is how we initially um, just got hooked up as mm-hmm. acquaintances and friends. And you were checking in on us and <laughs> asking us all sorts of questions, mm-hmm. making sure we were good to go as foster parents. So we will get to that a little bit more towards the end of the podcast, but that's how we we got connected and you were always cool with us and trusted us and loved us and we always appreciated it and it's like Absolutely. trying to find some more guests for the podcast. I'm like, oh, dang, Brittany, she's got she's got a story, but she also has a really unique perspective of mm-hmm. being inside that world that you know we're trying to be a part of and, and help out. So looking forward to talking about that. Yeah. Thank you for being here. Thank you. All right, so let's get started with with little Brittany and okay. <laughs> where you are from, where you grew up, um, your your family dynamic, maybe your neighborhood dynamic, and and just your background. Yeah, um, so I grew up in Augusta, Georgia. Um, I grew up with both of my parents. Um, my childhood was pretty pretty great. Um, we traveled everywhere. Um, anything that my mom or my dad did, they always brought me along. Um, I have a sister. Um, by my dad first, and then my mom had my brother, so I'm the only child. Um, So I grew up the quote-unquote baby girl, Mm -hmm. um, the only one in the home. Um, I mean, my childhood was really good. It was, I never had any issues. I never had, um, I never seen like the struggle part of growing up. Mm -hmm. Um, My parents always provided for me um, anything that I needed. They gave that to me. I mean, I really was what you call the spoiled, the spoiled little girl. Um, but growing up, I had a really hard time, um, especially in high school. Um, it was almost like the identity crisis type thing, even going into college. Um, it was in the transition of the time of my mom getting sick. Um, I've had, I mean, you have your community. We grew up faith-based. Um, we grew up on God. We grew up, you know, knowing who God was and who God is to you and learning how to, you know, get that relationship with him for yourself. Um, I always went to church, stayed in, you know, the youth choir. My dad was an usher. My mom was in the choir. Um, So, you know, it was just, that was our foundation. Mm -hmm. Um, God was our foundation. But high school, transitioning to college was when it really hit for me. Um, My mom was discovered to have liver cancer Mm. and it took a huge toll. It took a a very, like the turn was, <laughs> it was like, you know how we say gray area? Mm-hmm. It wasn't even a gray area. It was just no area, period, for me. Um, but in that transition, I was literally lost. Um, she was like my everything, literally my everything. And um, when you, you, you have your family, but it's just like you by yourself in that transition. You know, I was a freshman going into college. And when Where I got, were you going to college? Um, I went to Armstrong State University. Okay, here in now, yeah. Yes, here in Savannah. That's now Georgia, Georgia Southern. Mm-hmm. But um, in that transition, 
you know, we would go to, I think I went to maybe two visits. Um, we would go, you know, see the, the doctor in regards to the follow-up of what's going on, her biopsy, things of that nature. But after a while, you know, in the back of your head, you know, it's just like, when is it going to happen? You know, mm -hmm. is she going to live or is she going to make it or is she going to die? Um, that's when my faith was really tried. Although, you know, you grew up on that, mm -hmm. but your faith is your faith is really tried in, you know, certain circumstances. Right. So, um what did they say about her when she first got diagnosed? Did they give any kind of timetable or what to expect or were you prepared for that? I will say I never I never knew the timetable. My dad, I think he just kept that away from his children. Um so it won't be something that we focus on a lot. Mm -hmm. But <clears throat> I do remember um it was just like the back and forth within those six months of, you know, the checkup, the, you know, the chemo. It was it was a lot. My mom was still working even with chemo. She, you know, the normal size like me, she became so, 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 so little, like so brittle. Mm -hmm. And she was still working. She was working at uh, the Medical College of Georgia, MCG. And it would be times where I come and pick her up and she would be so tired. You know, it, it was just a lot of back and forth. So... The more that she got so little and I started seeing like, they call it jaundice in the eye. Mm -hmm. Her eyes were yellow. It was it was a very difficult time. And I just was like, you know, Lord, when? You know, when is she going to, <laughs> you know, prepare me for that? When is she going to go home? So, but it was in that time, the, the month span of me transitioning, coming back home my freshman year of seeing her. And then it was literally, I think the day after Christmas, um, I was laying down in the living room and my brother, my all, all the family was home and um, we got the call. I believe my dad was already at the hospital and we got the call that, you know, mom has transitioned now. He woke me up and was like, mom is, mom is gone. Hmm. And it was, I, I literally was daydreaming. I felt like I was daydreaming because it was like, I felt something on my shoulder to say, hey, you're going to be okay. Um, you know how some th sometimes he gives you something before something happens. And I just, I set up and I wasn't, I wasn't like, I guess you could say I wasn't really understanding at the time. Um, it was still a shock, but I didn't feel it. Like I didn't come off like it was a shock. It was like, wow, this really happened. This really happened to me. So. And how old were you at this? I was 18. Yeah, I 18 was. 18 in this, what year was this? This was 20, 2010. Okay, 2010, mm -hmm. you were 18. Gotcha. Yep. And w was there any part of you, like maybe not at that moment, that was relieved? Did you feel like she was suffering and like it was really hard to watch her live like that? Yes. Uh, oh my goodness, yes. Um, it was hard looking at her in that state. Um, my mom was always strong-willed. She'll do anything for anybody. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it was like, well, I, you know, we have to be that to you. We've always been that to her, but, you know, we really got to be that for you now. And um, it was very hard watching her. You know, it would be hard for me to come home because I, I didn't want to see that um, or just be around it. And um, but, you know, yeah. it was it was really hard seeing her like that. Yeah, and you mentioned that it was um, especially, I guess, faith wise, like it, it challenged mm. what you did. It challenge just your view on God or what you believed about what you've been told your whole life or what you felt like. Yeah. Take me through that journey of when you found out about your mom and then she passed away and just like, what, what were the yeah. challenges for you in dealing with that? Um, the challenge for me, a lot of it was, um, 
you know, how we say faith, you know, is the evidence seen, hope, you know, those things. But it was as if, like, I'm questioning God often. Um, why me? Why her? You know, when you when you grow up in a household that's, like, really family-oriented and, you know, they don't, the parents are, they will never tell you everything. But my parents are really the ones where, even though I will say, <laughs> half the time I was sneaky with certain things, but I could come to them with a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, my mom, she was just my best friend. And just seeing that, like, how could you take somebody that I'm so close to away from me? And um, I question God a lot. Um, but then I will also have those times where I'm just like, okay. Real it in, sis, because you you know who God is. You know that this is not their home. You know, this is earth is not their home. Heaven is the home. You know, and you know that she's no longer suffering. So hold on to that. Um, even in the transition from when, and when I went to college and even after the fact, I would say finding a community-based, you know, church, you a faith-based church, you really want to surround yourself with that. Um, I think that is one of the, greatest things that happened to me in that transition uh, with my faith. Um, they surrounded me so much with love and encouragement and just keeping me, you know, on my toes and my word. Um, but I will say that there are times where it was like, God, how could you, you know? Um, mm -hmm. But he just, he always reassured me with different things. You know, if I, when I accomplish something or when I get through, you know, a challenge, um, it was always reassurance, like, you know, she's watching over you. The scripture talks about, you know, a cloud of witnesses. You know, um, I learned that even within my church. Never knew about that scripture until then. It was just so encouraging me, encouraging to me just to know that, okay, yeah, you know, that's my angel. She she really is watching over me throughout whatever I go through, throughout whatever I put myself through or whatever, you know, the challenges may be. I have somebody rooting for me in heaven so yeah one of the one of the words people use you know that are mm -hmm. have faith is like purpose you know god's yeah. purpose for something and mm -hmm. when when you look back on it now do you see obviously you have per, you felt purpose in her life because she mm -hmm. taught you so much and meant so much to you but mm -hmm. do you see or feel like her purpose and what her struggle and and her death and what it means to her life and to other people that she she touched just as much as maybe when she was living or is that still hard to grasp and wonder why it had to happen? No. Um, to this day, there are people that really, you know, if my, my brother and myself, if we post something about mom, they're like, oh my God, you know, I miss her so much. My mom was really, she was like the mom that you have to share with everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't mind because I grew up like that. I was taught that from my mom and dad, you know, I so many values and so many, just so many things that we stood on. They taught me that. Um, she was literally an angel on earth, you know, anything that you needed, even if you, she just was really a phone call away. Um, she was really, you know, the mom to other moms, the mom to those that didn't have a mom, the moms who lost their moms, um, sister, friend, anything that you could think of. That's, that was really my mom, yeah. you know, and I see that the value of her, it still lives on, you know, a lot of people. They, you know, they they miss her. They they miss her presence. You know, even if you call her up, you know, with the issue or just whatever, just to talk. She literally was that listening ear. Didn't tell your business, but literally was the listening ear or the one that gave you 
that, you know, an, an encouraging word or what you may need to hear, you know, in love. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And it sounds like um, she's given you purpose in some of the stuff Absolutely. that you've been doing since you yeah. an adult and since she's gone. <laughs> and we'll get into that too. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's, it's really neat to see kind of her influence in your life yeah. to this day. And so, so let's go there a little bit. Okay. Um, your mom passes away. You're, you're graduating college. And what, what is the what is the plan or what do you want to do with your life at, at this point? What plan? Um, <laughs> <laughs> the plan. Um, so I after I graduated, I was already working as a patient service coordinator at my eye doctor. You would I literally was going well, I graduated with public health. Okay? You always wear cool glasses, too. By the way, so. <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, um, I was working there for a minute. Um, probably well, not even a minute. I would say like a year or so. But um, when I went there, it was literally like it was still a hard transition even at the graduation, um, because you want to come out with your career. You want to come out on top. Yes, I got my bachelor's. Hey, I'm going to be a career woman. No, mm -hmm. I'm working at my eye doctor, signing patients in. That's it. Not saying there's nothing wrong with that, but for me, it was like wow. Okay. What do I do now? Um, and I had a I had an intern. Um, I was working at uh, Coastal, uh, Coastal, not Coastal Pediatrics. Mm -hmm. It was a it was a different type of intern, but I was working with youth advocacy. Um, and my mentor, my intern at the time, um, really was just talking to me about you know what would I really want to do. Um, and the more that I started working with you know youth advocates, we always talked about you know health and wellness. Um, educational things, educational things wise of, you know, what do you do with bullying? You know, just those type of things that, you know, youth deal with often. And um, I got into, I got into that and I just loved it. Just love working with kids in general. Mm -hmm. And so I just didn't know which route to go. And so um, she said, why don't you apply for defects? Why don't you just apply? You know, there are times where you don't have to have a certain degree in an area and, you know, they'll pull you in and teach you and, you know, different things. So I said, okay, why not? You know, <laughs> it's going to be a great job. It's a state job too. Okay, let's go. Didn't know what you were getting into. Huh? Right. Didn't know what I was getting into, uh -huh. Nick. But um, <laughs> it was a wonderful experience. So I applied. I had my interview over the phone and I will literally say probably like in, within the next week, I was hired. All right. So, well, let's stop there. Okay. Um, because... I think we all have a perception before we get into that world of what we think DFACS, Department of Family and Children's Services is mm -hmm. like, or what foster care is like, or adoption, and just what we what we think is really going on in right. our neighborhood about like whether you know orphan and foster kids mm -hmm. is being taken care of who they are. So what what was your perception of that world before you before. got into it? And because you know you've mentioned you had a really good. I'm not going to say sheltered life, but you had a great family life yeah. and both parents and, mm -hmm. and, you know, had, had a wonderful environment and, and now you're getting ready to step into an environment that maybe you, maybe you've seen in, in some people before, but it's, it's a lot different than, than mm. working there. So what was your perception before you went in? Before I went in, um, of course you always hear, that's the only thing that I always heard about defects is that they take kids, take your kids away, take your kids away. Mm -hmm. But I knew it was more than that. Um, I didn't really have like a, a hard on perception of defects. It was just more so I know that this is probably going to be like the real world once I come in because you are dealing with other people. You are dealing with people's lives. You know, um, it's really it's not nothing surfaced. 
you are literally in their in their home. <laughs> mm-hmm. You're in their home. You're in their business. You're in it all. So that I will say that that was one of the perceptions I did have. Um, wasn't much prepared for it, but I got prepared. Yeah, you were in my business. I mean, <laughs> you were definitely in my business. Absolutely. So, I mean, we, you're checking yeah. up on us. We got to fill out paperwork <laughs> that's about like six inches thick. Mm-hmm, and like, you got to mm-hmm. know our finances, ask personal questions, everything. check everything in our home, yes. talk to our kids. Mm-hmm. I mean, you are in our business. Who's in the rooms, you all were. of those things. You yeah. were. <laughs> I mean, it's it's legit. It's, you, it's, a, it's a different world. Mm-hmm. And so what what did you end up being hired as? So at um, I was I was hired as a recruitment case manager, mm-hmm. um, recruitment caregiver. It's a long name. I really forgot. But yeah. recruitment case manager, pretty much. And so what that entailed was for me to go out you know, do recruitment, whether it's at an event in the park or if somebody, you know, is having an event and I just come and speak um, just to talk about what we're looking for, um, you know, the kids, how many kids we have in care. Um, And then it also entailed me, you know, teaching those parents that are on board now Mm -hmm. um, or are willing to come on board. Um, They call those impact classes. And I think that was like almost you have the three week training and you have the six week training. Yeah. Um, so I would it's like you know, 20 some hours you have to do pretty much uh, that 24, 24 now. Yeah. I think it's like 24, 24, or 25 is between those two. Um, but I would continuously recruit. I would do what they call re-evals where once your home is open within a year, you have to come back and, mm-hmm. you know, get those things back in order. Um, you know, and just call in probably every other month to see what's going on with the kids. Um, placement, I did placement a lot. Um, you know, with the kids that come and care. Uh, so that was pretty much what I did with recruiting um, yep. at Defects. And that's not an easy job, recruit foster parents. No. I mean, that's ridiculous. <laughs> I don't think people understand. I mean, we could have 300 kids or so in foster care in our county, in Chatham County here, and there might be 30 open homes. There you go. And so 40. for people that mm-hmm. don't know, you do the math on that. And, and some of those numbers are, they might be in foster care, but the kids are going to mm-hmm. a, a family member. Mm-hmm. So they're in foster Teacher, care yeah. technically, but mm-hmm. they're being placed with another, another family, family member. Mm-hmm. But then there's still a bunch of them who there's not enough homes here in Chatham mm-hmm. County. So they get, if they're teenagers or something, might try to send them to a group home. Yeah. If when they're younger, they get, they could be sent to Atlanta. They could be sent to Albany. They can be sent to different counties. And so they're being taken out of not only taken out of their family, but now they're being the taken out of their school district, exactly. their environment, mm-hmm. and their whole world is in mm-hmm. chaos. And for you to try to recruit parents to say, "Hey, do you want to do you want to take in some kids who aren't yours and yeah, have us completely in your business and have your life totally altered?" Mm-hmm. You know, nobody's raising their mm-hmm. hand to do that. Not at all. And <laughs> not at that's all. A, I mean, we could talk yeah. for hours about about that. <laughs> yeah, but. That's a really difficult thing. So, yeah, you know, does. one of my biggest struggles is from the faith perspective is just like how inactive the the church and people of faith are in not involved in this. Mm-hmm. And that's a frustrating thing. And I'm sure you probably ran into that, too. It's just like, well, we're all the people who say they believe in God and mm-hmm. they don't mm-hmm. I don't want to take care of the widow and the orphan. They What's know. going on here? Yeah. And so you, you can get very frustrated with it. But you know, take us through some of the most difficult things about okay. your job because I want people to really hear yeah. about it, not to scare them, but just Got like you. this is this is the the world and the reality. 
because people in your position, there's such a high turnover rate with, with caseworkers and mm -hmm. defects. It's like less than two years, I think. Oh, and so they're yeah. always turning over because probably some of the things you're going to share as far as difficulty, hours, pay, just all that stuff. Walk yeah. us through that, that difficult yeah. job. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> I could probably start at the top of... Um, We'll, we'll go with number one to get that one out the way, which is uh, the pay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so they bring you on board um, and you do have the option. I mean, we're learning that now of how to negotiate, um, but they do base it off of, you know, what you have or what you earned in college or whatever degree that you have. Mm -hmm. um, the work doesn't match up to the pay, even if you have a master's. Um, kudos to those that are still there. You know, I still keep in contact with those that are still there doing a magnanimous job. Don't know how they do it, but mm -hmm. um, the work that you have, it just really don't match up to the pay. Um, you know, there are certain expectations. You know, you have those policies that you have to, you know, complete. But it's like it's not really uh, it's not a reality thing. It's like a um, how can I say it? It's 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 a, not a, not a consensus, but, you know, every every agency has a goal to reach, especially in numbers. But to me, it just seemed like the importance of what you did was based off numbers. You know, we have these many kids. How many homes can we get? The 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 realistic part of the realistic part of even opening up a home wasn't realistic. Um, they say they'll give you, you know, two to three months, just depending on what kind of home is opening, whether it was kinship, whether it was, you know, out of state or, you know, just, you know, a child coming in and we do have a home open or bed open. Um, it just never, anything that we did just really never matched up. It always seemed like it was based off numbers and not the actual things of the kids, you know? And then, you know, the kids that would come in care or the ones that I did see to come in care, they had a lot, like, it was like a long list of things going on or that was, you know, that they were diagnosed with. And so you have these based homes who say they want to be foster parents, um, and you'll have a kid with, you know, opposition defiant behavior, um, sets things on fire. Um, you know, just, <laughs> I could just go on about the list of the trauma that these kids have been mm -hmm. through or what they are, you know, diagnosed as or, you know, itemized as. But then you have the home who only wants the zero to 15 or the zero to one. Uh, mm -hmm. We've definitely had that before. Um, and we, and you know, they we understand the dynamics of the different foster parents of what they want, but it's just when you're recruiting, it was always, you know, it was it was more so of recruiting. You're really recruiting. You're recruiting for the foster parents, but you want to recruit for the kids. You want to advocate for the kids because these kids really need homes. Mm -hmm. um, so the pay, just the things that we had to do, the pay never matched up, never mm -hmm. matched up. Um, you run into a power trip a lot um, within the agency. I mean, you can run into a power trip anywhere, but it was almost as if, you know, um, me being the youngest, I was literally the youngest in uh, on my team. Um, it was very difficult. You know, if you opened your mouth about something, then, you know, you're looked as the problem or you're looked as, you know, you're not with the agency. You're not, you know, you're not with us, but I am because I'm advocating for certain things. Or if I have an opinion or a question, mm -hmm. then, you know, Let's talk about it. Um, that happens a lot within the agency, even when we have like an open discussion for everybody, you know, in the building, then, you know, we have these opportunities to speak about things, but, you know, are you really listening? Do you really hear us? Or is it just, you know, 
what I say, you know, because I'm top tier, you know, what I say is what I say go. We're just doing this because we want to see, you know, what you guys have to say, but this is just a past time. Mm -hmm. And that's how I felt, especially a lot. You know, we have these forums, you know, the government may come or, you know, um, select officials may come to talk about, you know, the things and defects. But do you guys really hear us? You know, people on the outside looking in as if we're not doing our job, but... <laughs> We have people that's working, working their butts off, you know, getting caseloads done or, you know, having 30 kids on their caseload and you want something done within the very next day. You know, how, how realistic is that? You know, um, and then the just the just the power, the power chip portion was a lot for me, um, but it definitely built me up. Um, to be confident in certain areas of my life, especially with uh, speaking about speaking out about things, mm -hmm. um, but learning to um, be humble and show humility, uh, it definitely helped me in that regard. Um, but those things with defects and just the job itself in general, the pay never matches up, right. <laughs> and um, just the difficulty of recruiting for foster homes. Um, you have parents, you have, you have those people that, you know, say they have a heart for it. And I think I talked to you about this a while ago and I will always say this, but when you have those people that say, you know, God gave me this, you know, to, you have those that, Hey, yes, God did give you that. But when you really get down to the nitty gritty, the process is, you know, it's tedious. And as you go through, you really have to really ask him, is this something that he wants you to do? Or is this something that he gave you to do? Because you have a child that's coming into your home that doesn't know you and you don't know them. And they're looking at you for all of those things that may have been missing. They're looking mm -hmm. at you for comfort, care, love, even when they are tearing your house up or whatever, the, <laughs> whatever the case may be, they it's are nice looking, thing. they are looking, you know all about it. They are looking for that. They call it the honeymoon phase. The honeymoon phase could be backwards. Sometimes they come in and it may not be what you think it is. They they really about to try you. They're going to try you to see if you really love them and care for them because they have been to thousands of homes. That's exaggerating, but they've been to Multiple, a home here. Yeah. yeah, they've been to a home here, a home there, a home here because somebody said, hey, get them out of my house. So yeah, it's messy. It's a lot. I mean, it's very. just very messy on every different level, and it's mm -hmm. not just our defects here. It's like every defects, every and defects. a lot of them have. There's Absolutely. no like universal rules a lot of times and procedures and how we do stuff. There's different counties have different different ways to do, do it. Different states have different mm -hmm. ways of doing stuff, and it's just it's messy all around. And it, I understand why it people is. don't want to get involved in it. And from a foster parent side of it, yeah. I understand why people can't last very long working there because yeah. of having to be on 24 seven. And, you know, the recommendation from what I know is that it'd be great to only have like 10, maybe 15 kids on your caseload. That is. But you're working a lot of times with 30 or more because mm -hmm. of the amount of kids in the system mm -hmm. and the amount of people you have to do it. So you're, mm -hmm. you are constantly putting band-aids on, on gushing nasty <laughs> wounds and you're just doing that all mm -hmm. over the place without Absolutely. feeling like you're really making a big mm -hmm. change in the whole process mm -hmm. and so it's it's draining yeah and i i commend you for doing it and and like you said about the kids too it's like hey we only want a, a newborn or a 
little three-year-old white girl that doesn't have any problems <laughs> or something. I mean, you can say stuff like that, but then you're not yeah. going to be of any any mm -hmm. service. And most of the needs we have are for teenagers, teenagers yeah. for sibling groups, yep. and for kids with a lot of times, you know, special needs special or autism needs, yes. or, or, or disabilities mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And so if you're not wanting well, to do any of those yeah. and you have 30 homes and mm -hmm. one or two of them don't want or the only ones that don't want to have anything or, or willing to do that then that creates a whole set of circumstances for us personally and yeah. you know this we mm -hmm. only wanted one child mm -hmm. but you guys and we've had more. two placements yes. of siblings mm -hmm. and you got to to see that because we already had four kids of our own yes. so we're like uh one please <laughs> and like hey i got two for you yeah. <laughs> but again we yeah. had to make that decision of okay, we can sit here for a whole nother year, six months, who knows how long and not have anybody, but mm -hmm. we're supposed to be doing this and okay, okay, here's some twins. So are we gonna do this or not? Holy crap, here we go. And yeah, you guys it's, did it. it's insanity. Yeah. And you, you were there with us the whole time. Mm -hmm. we, we thought we were having those two girls for <laughs> three months, maybe six months, no. ended up being a year and a half. Mm -hmm. and, and you know, you're just smiling and yeah. coaching it's, us and encouraging us all the way through it, but it's, <laughs> Yeah, it is such a it's such a mess. And coming from two people who mm -hmm. grew up in a two parent loving home, right. mm -hmm. um, it really kind of rocks your world a little bit because you're not exposed to that when you're growing you're up and, and understand it either from a personal side mm -hmm. or, hey, nobody told me about this. My, my church didn't tell me about this. Mm -hmm. My church wasn't involved in this. Mm -hmm. And now I'm an adult and I'm here and seeing what's going on. Like, why? Where was the disconnect? Yeah. Why weren't we about this? I, I wasn't exposed to mm -hmm. hear about it and mm -hmm. you know for for you what was the i guess what was the i don't want to say breaking point or anything but like where was your heart the most hurt just personally in the, some of the situations you were dealing with was it a certain kid situation a home or just like the overwhelming aspect of all of it for you um i would have to say it was the overwhelm the, the overall overwhelming aspect for me um but my heart was really with just seeing like the behaviors that you see out of the kids, knowing that I know that's not you. Mm -hmm. um, I know that you're doing certain things because of your situation. Um, and then, you know, kids are just kids. It, it really breaks my heart to see parents or just what I've seen. Um, you want them to be like a statue almost. Like you don't want the child to be a child. You know, they are going to, they are going to push the limits to a certain extent, but, you know, you have to learn, you know, you need to learn, just learn the child, learn who they are, what they are, and, you know, their interest, you know, um, you can't, okay, so for example, I've had a home before where the parent is maybe like 70 something <laughs> and the child is 14 or 13. Mm -hmm. They're not gonna wanna sit down with you looking at soap operas all day. They want to get out, mm -hmm. you know, maybe a game or two, te you know, television. You know, you just have to learn those things. And if something happens and it's like, get them out. I, I, that breaks my heart a lot, you know, mm -hmm. because it's like, you know, I know that the case managers do all that they can, you know, to maintain and, you know, sustain a home with a child that could be, you know, possibly difficult. But um, just seeing that they have to be brought out of their environment, um, especially if something is going on with the home. I had one, the mom was sick, very sick. And 
they, you know, placed the child, unfortunately had to place the child outside of, you know, Savannah. And she did all her power. The things that she was doing was not because it was a behavior situation. It really was because she wants to be placed in where she was to be with her mom, to get ready, you know, to be right. able to see her mom. So it's those things that really just broke it off for me. Like these kids really, you know, they need help. They need love. They need care. They need all all the above. Whatever you can think of, they need all the above. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that was really my my breaking point, just to have having a heart for the kids that you come across, you know, um, even the teenagers, they're sweet. Yeah. <laughs> they're and sweet. How hard was it for you? to leave where you just had the point of like, I have to, or I'm going to go insane. Or it's just like, <clears throat> I still want to be a part of this kind of world a little bit, but it, just in a different capacity. Um, I wanted to be a part of the world just in a different capacity. Uh, for me, it was um, just management for me. Um, the people that I surrounded myself with at the job were awesome. Um, you know, I could have stayed, but I just was at my withins. I really was at my withins. And when I prayed about it um, and God said move, I went ahead and did so. And even in that, it was, you know, you doubt sometimes because it's like, whoo, all right, I'm about to move from something that is sustaining me to something that I don't even know how long it's going to sustain me. But when you move with faith, it's like, wow, okay, God, thank you. But it was definitely my 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 decision was sure Mm -hmm. um i already had my thing set up to where i'm gonna as soon as i hit that button it sent off and when i got the call of being hired i just said thank you god Mm -hmm. so yeah yeah. i I had i was talking with somebody just a couple days ago they Mm -hmm. were asking like hey is Brittany still there i need to find out about something (laughs) i mean that's how and i'm i'm open that's how crazy it is it's just like I mean, that's mm-hmm. that, you were their last contact and yeah. I haven't heard from anybody else in a while. And I remember when you came to our house to do check ins and stuff mm-hmm. and we'd be like, hey, Brittany, how are you? How are you doing? You'd be like, Ooh. oh, Lord, because <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we knew and like you know, yes. for us, it's just like it's tough, yes. too, because it's such a thankless job mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. people that are doing it for us. We just want to know, like, hey, we we care about you because yeah, that's the other thing, too. It's, that's that's yes. such a you don't realize like how much you can really make an, even if you're not a foster parent, if you just love on like a caseworker, somebody yeah, at defects and encourage absolutely. them, just say, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. Like, and understand what they're going through. It makes the world of a it's, difference. It's brutal sometimes. Yeah, yeah it is. But, but we could tell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it was, yeah, it definitely was a, a change, yeah. a, a great change for me. Okay, and where is that change? What are you doing now, and so, what's that all about? Yes, I am at Georgia Mentor. I currently am a program clinical service coordinator, mm-hmm. so I work closely with the kids. Um, I work with the foster parents, of course, but I work directly with the kids. Um, it has been a joy for me. Um, the work, the caseload that I that I would see or observe from the case managers at DFACS um, is kind of the same, but not really. Um, we kind of have, you know, someone of the same bulk, the same bulk load or workload, but um, the management there has, that's, that's what I prayed for. You know, God, if you open this door, you know, let me allow me to speak what I need to speak and, you know, not take offenses to anything, um, but really grow in the area um, that I really want to be in. 
and um, just continue to, you know, show me me in that regard. And the, the you know, the management there, they are, they, they're hands on. Um, you know, I don't mind if my supervisor call me. That's how great it is. I don't, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't mind if my supervisor call me. I don't mind if my director calls me. Um, it's just an overall, it's just an overall great agency. You know, DFX is great too, but what I needed and what I wanted at the time, mm-hmm. um, that's that's what I needed. And, and you're still making yeah, a difference. You're involved. Absolutely, yes. I, the kids are amazing. Um, the parents are amazing. You know, but I think it's interesting yeah. looking back at your story from you're younger and like how much your mom mm-hmm. kind of built a lot of your your character and how yeah. you care about other people in you mm-hmm. and you know giving you purpose for what you're doing now not only from the the good experiences mm-hmm. and and like you said she was always the mom for somebody else she was listening yeah. listening to what other people had to say she mm-hmm. was there for other people and you're you're doing that now for other kids but there's even the the trauma side of it where you experienced her going through something difficult mm-hmm you went through something difficult yeah. and ultimately a traumatic experience of losing a parent. Yeah. And now you're, you're taking that good, but you're also taking that trauma side of it, of yes. being, having a parent taken away from you and mm-hmm. dealing with a lot of kids who have the same thing. It might not be an actual death of a parent, yeah, but right. it's, it's a divorce, it's an abuse, mm-hmm. it's uh, they were left, you know, mm-hmm. whatever it is. And, and you're kind of using both mm-hmm. of those experiences yeah. into what you're doing now and who you are. And, mm-hmm. Just really need to see how you know you have purpose in doing that. Absolutely. I don't know if you yeah. view it as that way or yeah. not, but it's, it's, it's all really cool coming to together. See. Yeah, it is. It's it's all coming together now. Um, the more I talk about it, even with uh, my pastor and my first lady, um, yeah, they are always driving me to purpose. They are always, you know, driving me to you know do what God has called me to do or do it and be as what God has called me to be as well. Um, so. Yeah, it's been a journey. It's still a journey. I'm still learning, but I'm just grateful. I think now at where I'm at, I'm grateful for the experiences. I'm mm-hmm. grateful for all the things that from the time I was born to at this age, you know, um, you can look back at it and either take it with a grain of salt or not take it with a grain of salt. But mm-hmm. I definitely take it, took it with a grain of salt as well as, you know, yeah. Moving forward. Yeah. Well, I just got a couple more yeah. topics or questions yeah. and just want to pivot, transition a little bit, but just where we are now as a as a country with with COVID and political unrest and, and race and, and all those things like, you know, whether you want to be in that world or not, you're you're in it and mm-hmm. you're dealing with with people that are affected by it as well. And, you know, not your beliefs on all those yeah. topics or <clears throat> what you personally think mm-hmm. and what side you take or anything like that, but just like, how how have you dealt with the past year, just who you are as a person and in those issues that are happening in our country? Do you like to engage? Do you like to turn it off? Do you see people a, a different way than maybe you did a year ago? Or like, what? how are you processing everything right now? Um, <clears throat> I was very silent. Like I'm the one that observes a lot. Um, I probably won't even, I probably never spoke up about it um however um i'm just more sensitive to you know people around or whoever i come across um because it definitely has took a toll even for me um at first you know when covid hit you know we were you know i guess was told to stay at home mm-hmm. and work from home and 
it's almost like being in four walls, you know, every single day, you're not able to go out, you're not able to do this, you know, you must have your mask, you know, now it's just, <laughs> if I forget my mask, I just go right back and just stay in, because that means I don't need to go somewhere. But um, it just made me more sensitive. It really made me more sensitive. Um, you know, even with the, the, the racial tour of things, I was, I'm not going to say I was shocked, but it was like, wow, um, things really were, you know, pushed up under the rug. Um, you know, people are now coming out of how they really feel um, towards African-Americans, towards Hispanics, towards whoever. Um, you know, what this country was raised on was really what it was raised on. And not trying to be funny, but, you know, the the good old boys, you know, the white power, all of that, it it really just came just came about, you know, just came about um and it just resurfaced. You know, they always say history repeats itself and it really is repeating itself in more ways than one. Um so, you know, just being I I became very sensitive, but also, you know, just like, wow, this is this is what I read in the history books or this is what, you know, <laughs> my grandmother or, you know, whoever that talks about politics or racism, these are the things that I'm really seeing like this. I'm living in a pandemic, also dealing with racial things <laughs> and also dealing with, you know, trauma, mental, the mental state of it all. You know, people are really running rapid. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not really. I mean, you know, it, I don't know. It's, it's, it's scary a little bit because you just don't know what's going to happen next with everything that's going on, you know, so. Yeah, I I tell people all the time, it's like, man, we can we can spend our time trying to <clears throat> pick a party or pick a side on certain things. But like the most influential you can be is like your sphere of influence around mm -hmm. you. And, mm -hmm. you know, you're working for George Mentor. I, I mentor with our nonprofit Excel. And like I'm, I'm in that world. And I tell, I tell people like like what I say and do and and model mm -hmm. for all these young men that I'm mentoring and, and my own kids like they're all watching right now. Yeah. what adults are doing and adults that they think are are right or mm -hmm. over them whether it's a parent mm -hmm. or it's a mentor or it's a pastor <laughs> like they're all they're, they're taking it in they're it's not they like are. they're oblivious to what's going on and so just just personally for you to be able to model like a doesn't mean you don't have opinion or don't have a yeah. voice but just mm -hmm. model like an adult who's compassionate and loving and like, hey, let's let's listen first. And if somebody says something, you don't have yeah. to be right or correct them. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. it's a lot of and, and you get it, too, because you're working with the, the demographic that's already already yes. hurt. Mm -hmm. You know, they are in a traumatic state. And to go mm -hmm. through this time period as mm -hmm. well through that, especially if they're teenagers, there's so much confusion. It is. And, you know, that's what kind of concerns me mm -hmm. as well as like who's who's just loving on them yeah giving them a healthy dose of what mm -hmm. an adult hopefully can yeah. can be and should be and you know Absolutely. glad you're in that in that spot but i was wondering because you are a quiet quieter person <laughs> and so you know people can internalize a lot of the stuff that's going on mm -hmm. right now and if they don't have a safe person to talk to right. or a healthy outlet then mm -hmm. you know as loving as you are you can th think certain things about people or just get you know, calloused and angry yeah. towards something and right. it, it messes you up even more mm -hmm. than you realize it. So just that the mental health side of it. Yes, yes, yes. That the it it can um 
it can definitely alter. Um, it can alter. It can alter your view of people um, quickly if you allow it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you don't. You don't want to hate anybody, um, but it's like, wow. You know, you were. You know, the things that you see, you were definitely taught that, especially with racism. You had to be taught that. That's nothing that you are um, inwardly already having once you're born. You know, it's it's just it's definitely taught. And so I just when I approach people or when people approach me or when I see things, it's just like, yeah, you were taught that. But, you know, until you understand, you know, the unity and the view of things, then that's when only things can get better. But um, it definitely takes a mental state and a heart state as well. Yeah. With things. So well, thank you. Mm-hmm. Well, and speaking of of having a heart for people and, <laughs> and listening and all that, you know, what we like to do at the end of the podcast is just ask our guests what what is something, what is a challenge you can give other people? You know, for someone who has lost their mother or some you know, a parent or somebody they're really close to in kind of a traumatic way like like you did, or somebody that's working with with youth or teens and even if you are working with them, you just like they're around you somewhere. Yeah. And you know, like this this kid doesn't have a parent or has a bad home life. Like what what are a couple of things of advice or simple steps somebody can take where they're not gonna be like the hero to rescue everything, but it's like you can make a real difference in in this person's life who went through something like I did, or these these youth who don't have they're in the foster care system. Like th- these small things like can make a difference. Mm-hmm. And what, what would you say those are? Um the number one thing I will say that uh, I've been taught that has helped me a lot is giving people grace. Um, whether it's a kid, how you know, adult, just give them grace. Grace allows that space, you know, for them to not only uh, be themselves, but um, to maybe you know get rid of some things as well. Um, we are all carrying some type of baggage. Give them that grace, you know, to get rid of it. Give them that grace to overcome, giving that grace to, you know, really be confident in what they're trying to accomplish and what they're trying to do. You know, grace, that's <laughs> that's that's really what I would give anybody, you know, because I, I want the same thing. I may mess up in certain areas, but please give me grace. You know, he's giving it to us. Why not us do the same thing? So grace and um, patience. <laughs> Patience, please give us patience. They kind of go hand in hand sometimes, yeah, it right? Definitely it's, does. Not a, it's not an immediate thing all the no, time. No, it's not. Um patience. Um and throughout it all, you know, be yourself, of course. Always be yourself. It may be hard and difficult in the times that we're in now, you know, but just be yourself. Um people will take more of a liking to you more than anything if you're just yourself. Um understanding you know um but I, th- those are the things that i will say especially number one grace mm-hmm. grace is what really has carried me through That's cool. so well, i appreciate yeah. you sharing that yeah. appreciate you being here and sharing yeah, your story you and me. yeah no problem appreciate you being yeah. our i mean were you technically our case manager what was your title when you were working with us i was yeah i was your case manager right. okay. yeah i was the foster parent case manager foster parent case manager yes. so you have <laughs> And I, you were there for, were you there for both of our placements? Or at I least believe the, so. I know I was there for three years. So yeah, I, I definitely was yeah. there for both those placements. So you did us right. You yeah. loved on us. You made sure we were taken care of and checking in on us and our madness mm-hmm. at the house. And so as a foster parent, I want to say thank you. As yeah, a friend, I want to say thank you and just 
yeah, being vulnerable and sharing your story. And I think it'll be good for people to hear and help help other people as well. So thank you, Brittany, thank for being you. here. Thank appreciate you. it. Quinn, thank you so much for producing. And uh, yeah, appreciate everybody awesome. watching and listening. And we'll catch you next time on the Neglected Podcast. Peace.